0: Welcome! My name is Rabbi David Orlovsky, and this is the Rabbi Orlovsky Show here on what is sometimes a podcast and sometimes not, depending on when you were born. And it is so nice to have everybody back. This is episode seven. We have actually done this now for seven weeks. This is absolutely incredible for somebody who is as inconsistent as I am in almost everything that I do. And uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. And I, I just came back from America, literally. I just came back from America. And uh, I am still incredibly jet-lagged. Uh, but uh, I just have to take a few minutes to tell you about this trip to America, and I'll explain to you why this is important also for the podcast. But first of all, I did a Shabbos in the Young Israel of Houston um, with Rabbi Wender. And uh, that was phenomenal. I had the schuss of staying with Yaakov Palachuk and his family. And it was just the overall experience was just something so wonderful. We had such a nice turnout. It was uh, such a, uh, just a beautiful Shabbos. A beautiful Shabbos for everybody who was involved. And I'm speaking certainly for myself. Uh, Sunday morning, I did a program with... uh, the Bel Air Jewish Center, Rabbi Jacknan, and we had an overflow crowd. And, uh, and I think it was also just a wonderful, wonderful uh, event. I went from there to Scottsdale, Arizona, for uh, Makor, Rabbi Brumer. We also had an unbelievable event, over 120 people in Scottsdale, Arizona, many of whom had never come to an event before. And it was, again, fantastic, just a great thing. Um, I got to speak to Sister to Sister in Flatbush, which is an organization that deals with divorcees, and uh, they said they got such a nice, you know, much larger turnout than usual. And I have to say, when you have an organization for divorcees and you have a very large turnout, that's a little, it's a little bittersweet because I'm glad that so many people came to get chizek, and I'm sorry that there are so many people in this situation. Um, I had this schust to spend Shabbos with uh, Rav Chaim Cohen Saban and Flatbush for the Syrian community. Um, he hosted us, me and my wife, in his home, and uh, him and his wife and his children. It was such an amazing Shabbos. We walked up and down Flatbush to various the um, in the Syrian community, and it was, it was such a great chance to get uh, get an exposure. Um, I spoke in the Five Towns for uh, in Muna for Chazak, and I spoke in Ezra Academy in Queens for Chazak, and both events were very exciting. I had the chance to participate in the uh, in the Manjewitz's Simcha um, in Borough Park <coughs> at a, a Shevur Brachos. I don't always get to do that, and uh, that was a that was a big thrill, and um, and I got to speak for the first time in Staten Island, and as I said at the beginning of my talk, I have driven through Staten Island many times on my way to someplace else to speak, and I actually got uh, to speak for the Willowbrook Community Kollel, and um, uh, it was. Tremendous. Representative Pollock uh, was organizing it, and a shout out to Sarah Prof, who uh, helped to organize it. And there was Givaldic. I also had the opportunity to speak in Shalamis, um, where my granddaughter actually goes to school. And I got to speak to the staff and uh, Mrs. Yarmak, who does absolutely a fabulous job. She called me up and asked me if I would come and speak, and I'd say, Mr. Yarmack, there are certain people I cannot say no to, and you're one of them, and uh, it was uh, certainly a privilege. And I ended my trip Sunday morning with my old friend, and good friend, Rabbi Landsman, in uh, Yeshiva of Central Queens. Got to speak to parents and, uh, and uh, children. Got to see my nephew, Laza and, uh, and uh, my great-niece. And uh, it was such a tremendous thing. Now, this is interesting, but the, the main reason I'm bringing this story up is because everywhere I went, people came over to me and said, I'm watching your podcast. And that, to me, is just amazing. Amazing. That all around the country, you know, people are watching this and uh, a number of them actually enjoy it. And uh, that's that's just terrific. It's just a, such a terrific thing to know that that was the reason I started this. I started this to be able to have a, a Kesher with people, um, you know, all around that I wouldn't normally have a chance to call. And uh, I've been getting many comments and many um, emails uh, from people um, asking questions on it or just giving me chizik saying, you know, how nice this is and how wonderful it is. And, you know, I'm glad we're doing this. And, you know, for me, it's uh, it's a wonderful experience because this is time I would probably just be using poorly. And instead, I get to use it uh, to be able to speak about interesting things. Some of them have to do with Torah and to share them with so many people. So thank you all for watching and for listening, whether it's on Torah Anytime or on YouTube, where more and more people have been subscribing. It's nice to see. Uh, iTunes or anywhere where you get podcasts. So, uh, you know, um, I hope that we continue to do this uh, for uh, for a long time to come. All right. One last bit of business, and that is I'm going to be back in America December 14th and 15th um, in the Aguda of Madison, Rav Reisman. What a that's going to be, and I'll be speaking at Demolav Malka, so if you're anywhere within flying distance of, uh, of Brooklyn for that Shabbos, by all means, please come. I'd love to see you. And um, it be wonderful to have you participate in that event. And, um, and the Thursday of that week, I think, I think it's December 19th, I'm going to be in the young Israel of Bahaba, and, uh, out, down in Florida. And uh, based on uh, the snowstorm that I got caught in, um, in New York, on November 15th, Mamash, the middle of November, a snowstorm, I sat in traffic, for seven-and-a-half hours on my way to my nephew's Hasana in Muncie. I could not get there and I wasn't going to give up even though it was a quarter to ten I wasn't going to give up, but my brother took the Tappan Zee Bridge He got within five miles of the hall and he said every road in Muncie was closed and uh, When I left at a quarter to ten the George Washington Bridge was still closed I was able to somehow get off the highway and get back to Long Island. What a nightmare! What a nightmare in the middle of November snow so, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you in Florida. <laughs> if anybody else uh, would like to see me in Florida, um, I'm certainly available. Yeah, or for that, that uh, matter, the Bahamas, uh, Puerto Rico, um, you know, any of the Caribbean islands would work out just fine for me. <laughs> all right. All right, enough business. Let's, uh, let's talk a little Torah. Parshas Vayishlach, an action-packed parsha. I'm going to throw out an idea that I haven't developed because, you know, what's nice is I get so many comments. It could be that somebody speaks about this and I just haven't come across it, which is, you know, not unusual. Um, but uh, I've always felt like, you know, people who know everything, I feel so bad for them because they never have the thrill that I do of, like, stumbling on a Rashi that you either never saw or forgot, you know what I mean? And, you know, when I go to shiurim with people, if, if they don't know everything, I don't know who caught them on it, you know? And, um, you know, but I feel like there is an integral relationship between the parshas Vayishlach, B'Shalach, and Shlach. I, I've been developing some ideas why that might be, but I just feel like it can't be by coincidence that all of these have the word Shlach in it. That's just my feeling. Yeah? Um, uh, I feel the same thing... Uh, with certain other parashios uh, that seem to have this kind of a, this kind of a sense to it. Vayera, um, v'eira, you know, I don't know, we, could, we can argue, I can, I can come up with, with some connections and things like that, I, I, nothing that, as we used to say back in Chavetz Chaim is muchuch, you know what I'm saying, that it's going to stand up the test of time, but anyway, I'm just throwing that out there, that's, that's uh, not what I'm speaking about, it's just what I wanted to throw out there. I wanted to speak about one of the characters in Tanakh whose life is fascinating and not necessarily in the best way. And that is Jacob's daughter, Dina. Now, maybe it's because I have eight daughters that I feel a certain, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to the story of daughters. But as far as we know, this is the only Jewish daughter that we encounter. Yeah? Um... Avraham, according to the Medrash, had a daughter called Bakol, yeah, and um, uh, that's an interesting story. And 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 the Mefarshim, there's a Ramban, the Mefarshim discuss about the role about uh, about this this young lady. But the only one that we actually find in the Torah spelled out until you know, the first one anyway, spelled out is Dina. And Dina has a interesting trajectory, not necessarily. Uh, One of the more positive stories. Yeah. And Leia has six boys. Leia has six boys. And she's pregnant the seventh time. And she's worried. It's interesting. She's worried she's going to have another boy. And she is concerned that if so, since Bill and Zilpa already each have two sons then her sister Rachel will only have one son, she'll have seven. And even though it was so important to them to be able to have the Shvatim, there was this drive to have the Shvatim. Um, Since I'm going to be speaking at Rabbi Reisman Shul, I'm going to throw out uh, an idea I heard from Rabbi Reisman years and years ago that made a dramatic impression on me that I want to share with you. Um there was a bracha um, given when the Aron was being brought up and it got to Kir Ya'arim. So, there was the whole mice that happened over there, and uh, and uh, Uza was killed and uh, they stopped and they left it. And the fellow who was watching the Aron in his house, there was a special bracha. And because of this special bracha, um, David HaMelech decided to go back and finish the job of bringing the Aaron up. His five daughters and his wife each had six children. Each one of them gave birth to sextuplets. And so when David heard this bracha, he decided, you know, we really have to bring it up. <laughs> Reisman said, 36 babies at the same time in that house. How many people would look at that today as a bracha? <laughs> My daughter has twins. My daughter has twins, and um, and uh, there's a there was this comedian. You know, he was he said on a show. You know, he says, uh, "Me and my wife, we just had twins," and, he, and people start applauding. He says, "Those are the single people. <laughs> the married people are like, wow, well, dodge that bullet. <laughs> it's very hard. You have twins. It's very hard. I see for my daughter. You know, you're up the whole night." Yep, don't like. If you can get them both on the same exact schedule, but why would any child have that level of consideration for a parent? That's that's just not what they're there for. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you finish one, you start with the other one. This one's crying. This one you've changed a diaper. This one you have to feed them. There's no day. There's no day. That's with <laughs> that's with two babies. Yeah, triplets. Uh, who can even imagine triplets? Thirty-six babies in the house. <laughs> And as Rabbi Reisman points out, this was before disposable diapers. <laughs> yes, Yo, do, you, do you see that as a bracha? Yeah. As I traveled around um, uh, the um, the country, so last Motzi Shabbos, uh, I had the schus, Malka, um, and uh, also invited was Rabbi Trump from the... Uh, uh, young of Lawrence Cedarhurst. And he was, uh, he was asked, what would you say are the three biggest problems that are confronting the firm society right now? And one of them he mentioned was the tuition crisis. That there's... And I met over a dozen families, over a dozen families, who said to me, I wish we could have more children, but we can't afford the tuition. There's something seriously wrong with a Torah educational system that discourages people from having children. There's going to be something wrong with that. And I, and I, I, I don't stand in judgment of anybody, chas but, v'shalem. But do you realize that, that this, this is a situation that demands some sort of response from the firm community? If our tuitions are such that they discourage Jewish people from wanting to have more children? There's there's something seriously wrong. I mean, it's mommish something seriously wrong. Yeah. As I've mentioned many times, the only reason I have this podcast is because this is the only chance I have to rant and rave about things that are bothering me. That's why there were two different suggestions for for titles, you know, Dave's Raves and Dave's Rants, you know, and I said, "I don't rave and rant. Okay, maybe sometimes." <laughs> well, I'm certainly getting I'm going to stand on my soapbox now. <laughs> What's the solution? Yeah. Um, Dave Barry, who was a humorist You know, out of the Miami Herald He once said If you're not part of the solution so, no, Usually they say it's part of the problem If you're not part of the solution You're a journalist <laughs> um, I, I don't have the power to be able to solve problems But those of you who do And I know there are some real khoshev People who are listening to this We got to do something You know there is enough money and resources in the firm community to solve anything if we want to. And maybe we should be putting together some kind of a super fund to underwrite tuition for everybody and just encourage people to want to, you know. If we only give the, the tuition relief to people who literally can't afford it, then you're saying the people who can't afford it, who, who are, you know, nice, responsible people, and they say, you know, I don't want to take a scholarship. So the their only option then is not to have any children because, you know, they can't afford the tuition. So we got to do something. We got to do something. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, they wanted to have children. They wanted to have children. And so Leah is pregnant now with a shevet. Let's mach a Ten of them had already been born. Right? She had six. Bila had two. Zilpa had two. Who's number 11? Yosef. It's interesting. She was mistama, pregnant with Yosef. She davened that she turned into a girl. And that became Dina. So, Yaakov Kamenetsky says an amazing idea. He says the wires were crossed to a certain extent. Um, Yaakov can say this. I wouldn't say this on my own. Yeah? He says that's why Dina is a Yitzanus. A Yitzanus is... Seen as a male thing to do, and I'm I'm not getting into any social norms now or role of women or any of those kind of things. It's just you know a girl is Lushan bas from and Bias. They tend to be more in the house. A man is goes out. Ben is a and bona goes out and builds and does something. It's seen in that context. Again, I'm I'm not getting involved now with any um, you know uh, just a simple idea that a yitzonus, at least in the Torah, is seen as more of a male thing to do. And Dina is a yitzonus. She's seen as a yitzonus because, it says Rabbi Yaakov, that's a certain male quality. And what do we see by Yosef? Yosef is fixing up his hair, is fixing up his eyes, something that's seen as more of a female trait. And Rabbi Yaakov says it's because of the fact that she was pregnant with Yosef and she turned it into Dina. So there, there was a certain... Switch that took place. An astounding concept. But she had this mysterious nefesh that she decided she was going to have a girl. Why? So that her sister should not be hurt. And so her decision to have Dina was an act of selflessness. And what was the result of that? So Dina uh, gets kidnapped and raped. And the brothers destroy the city of Shechem in the process of getting her back. And as a result of that, yeah, the nations rise up all around and attack, Yose, uh, attack Yaakov and his sons. They have to have this big war in order to be able to fight their way out. And, uh, and Dina herself will not leave unless uh, Shimon promises to marry her, marry her sister. And uh, they, um, uh, there's this, there's this sense of, you know, there's there's this expression, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, you do something nice, you'll end up paying for it. Yeah, so uh, try to help people, and what ends up happening, and unfortunately, there, there's a lot of source material <laughs> to suggest. People go out and do nice things and, and the result doesn't work out too well. So here Leah was nice enough to be able to have a daughter. And as I mentioned, the first Jewish daughter who's reported in all of Tanakh and what's the results, the results don't work out so well. It doesn't work out so well. When I was growing up, that was a song. But the concept remains essential. You cannot understand anything if you're looking at it in the immediate. And we are, unfortunately, in an age where people have very little patience. I saw a sign once that said, God, grant me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> people, people can't wait. Instant messaging. You write somebody, if they don't write you back right away... You know, then you're right back in capitals. I was in America. I was actually doing stuff. Somebody here in Israel sends me an email. Would such and such be okay, da-da-da, a da, da, whole thing with this, a whole, a whole, a whole it, was a, it was a WhatsApp, a whole long WhatsApp. And I happened to be speaking. And he writes back like five minutes later, oh, you're not answering, so I guess, da-da-da-da. So I finally answered it back. I said, I can't answer every WhatsApp, email, message as it comes in. Sometimes I need a little time. And he was very surprised. <laughs> I understand this because most conversations I have with people today are by looking at the top of their head as they're looking down at their phone, answering an email or WhatsApp or a message. And, and you know, and they're of the generation where they go like this, you know what I mean? You know, I would sometimes, you know, get a message and I would, you know, write a response, you know, and it would take me <laughs> Five minutes to put it together, I'd send it off. And 10 seconds later, I get a three-page response. You know, how is this even possible? It's not even possible. <coughs> there's, a, there's a generation today that, that has instance. There's no chance. <coughs> so if you want to understand what happened over here with Dina and with Leia and with the, all the on the second, it doesn't make any sense. Max was libeled Dina has a daughter, Osnas. And Osnas goes down to Egypt and got caught up in the excitement as Yosef, now known as Tzavtas Parneach, um, would ride in his chariot. All the girls would throw their jewelry. And as the jewelry is falling, something catches him out of the corner of his eye and he sees Beis Yaakov. He says, there's a Beis Yaakov girl here. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't even know, Beis Yaakov Goshen, I didn't even know there was one around, yeah? Looks into it, finds out she's talking from Beis and she marries her, and has two children, and from that relationship come Ephraim and Menashe, who become two shvatim. Yeah, there was sort of like 13 shvatim, and the extra shevet came about in the schus, of Leah and Dina. It came about through that relationship. So Leah gave up, so to speak, the extra Shavit, and yet she got the extra Shavit back. But you gotta, you gotta, you have, a, have to have a perspective. The a medrash where Moshe Rabbeinu, and there's a lot of different Gemaras and midrashim where Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to understand Sadik Virali. He's trying to understand how things in this world work. Yeah. And uh, he sees this guy come to the well. And uh, he drops his money. He sees a second guy come to the well, finds the money, takes the money, and leaves. A third guy comes to the well. The first guy comes back and says, where's my money? He says, I didn't see your money. Yeah. He says, you're lying to me, you thief. And he kills him. And Moshe watches this whole scene unfold. I, I can't understand it. And the Kush Baruch says, You're not going to understand the ways of Hashem. There's certain things you're just not going to understand. And he presses him. He says, Okay. Yeah. The first guy's father stole money from the second guy's father. So I had to get that money back from the first guy to the second guy. Yeah. The third guy killed the first guy's father. So the first guy comes over and kills the third guy. Right? You're looking at it just at the moment. Or as the Chavetz Chaim says, a person comes to Shul on the Shabbos and he says, to the Gabbai, you don't know what you're doing. You didn't give the Rav and You didn't give the Gevira sitting up front in Aliyah. You didn't give the... He says, I gave him last week. You're walking in here for one Shabbos and you think you understand everything that goes on in the Shul. You don't. There's a lot of different details that go on. There's a lot of things that are outside of what you can see just by looking in at this moment, there's more to the picture. So, uh, so we look at a story like Dina, and if we just look at it in context, it's a big problem. A big problem. Most of us don't have patience. Most of us don't have patience. I have a daughter who's very smart, and a very good girl. And she went and applied to a high school in Jerusalem that was not as good as the level that she was on. But her sisters had went there and she felt, listen, you know, it's a warm place, my sisters went there, I'll go there anyway. Even though it wasn't on the level for where she was intellectually. And um, uh, she applied there, it was the only place she applied and after the deadline, she was turned down, always after the deadline. Now, I was very surprised because I had a personal relationship with the head of the seminary, you the seminar they call it here, the high school, head of the seminar. I had spoken in the high school. I had donated money to the high school. <laughs> to me, it was sort of a no-brainer, you know. I spoke to him. He says, no, this can't be. This can't be. And he speaks to the people in charge. And for whatever reason, they said, no, no. Nope. And we're putting our foot down and nothing, nothing to talk about. So the only place that was willing to take her was a high school that had a very not good reputation. So, so the people in the school of her high school said, "Listen, we really wanted you to go to this better high school, and um, we're going to now use all of our influence here. We call it protexia, to try to get you in." So she says to me, "Abba, what do I do?" Do I go to the high school that's not so good, and I know that I'll get in? Do I try to wait and see if you can pressure your friend in the high school I was going to go to so that I can go there? Or should I go with my school and try to get into this better high school? What does Hashem want from me? And I said, when it's all over, I'll tell you what the siyat ha is. (laughs) Because I don't know. I'm in the middle of the process. I can't tell you in the middle of the process. And that's why when Moshe Rebbeinu says to the Baruch I want to see you, Hashem says, well, you can't see my front, you can see my back. And he shows him his back, and the Gemara says he's wearing the, the knot of his tefillin. He sees the knot of his tefillin. So you, you can't see Hashem's front, you can see his back. What, what does that mean? And Hashem wears tefillin, you know, a very, very big pair of tefillin, you know. What's going on here? So the shot is, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to understand why events are happening. When I see something bad happening, why is it happening? Hashem says, you won't see the front, you'll see the back. After it's over, you'll look back and understand it and appreciate it. But you can't understand events as they're unfolding. Wait. Patience. And that's why Moshe said he showed him the back of the tefillin, the knot. Because when you see these two straps in the front, you don't know where they're coming from until you see the knot in the back you have to go to the source. And until you get to the source, you don't understand what's happening. So, there are a lot of things in our lives which don't make sense to us now, and I can't always explain it in the process. You know, people come to me and say, why is this happening to me? I can't always tell you. When it's all over, I'll tell you what the Sayyata Deshmaya was. And afterwards, I was able to see the Sayyata Deshmaya because had she gone to this regular high school, she wouldn't have been challenged where her sisters went. And so she went to this much better high school and... She got to see how her principal and assistant principal and the, Israel, the high school uh, um, placement person and you know and everybody, her mechanechet, everybody pushed to get her in so that she saw how much they all cared about her. It was, it was tremendous. But you couldn't see it when it was happening. Sometimes we need patience. Yeah. And if we have patience, I was once speaking to a group of women, we were doing midos, so I said, which me do you want to do first? And they said, Savlonus. I said, you'll have to wait till we get to that. Because some things you have to wait. When Reb Chaim they wanted to make him the Rav of Vilna, they said, but you're, but you're only 17 years old. And he says, I know it's a problem, but some problems are solved with time. Sometimes we need a little patience, and a little time to be able to see how things are going and where they're going to go and what the Ratzon Hashem is. And the Mirza Hashem, Every one of us can see the Yad Hashem in our lives. We can see it now in the short term. And as the story unfolds, you'll get to see where the Siyat Hashem was, where HaKadosh Baruch was helping you go. And Mirza Hashem uh, will have the schus and the koyach to be able to have the chizak the to be able to withstand the nirishionis that come our ways and the strength to be able to become the people we're supposed to become.